guys. Welcome back to the Jay Martin Show. And I'm joined once again by Peter Schiff. Peter, it's great to have you back on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. So here's where I want to start. Um, I've been watching this trend of record central bank buying of gold. Um, the dates back to like 2014, but you know, it's really heated up uh, recently, specifically Q3 of 2022. Um, Talk to me about what you think is inspiring this and what are the ripple effects of record central bank buying of gold and repatriating that gold? Well, I think gold sold off as investors realized that the Fed and other central banks were going to have to raise rates to fight off inflation. And I think it's the fear of the rate hikes and this you know, inflation fight that caused gold to go down. But what investors really never understood was that the Fed was not going to be able to succeed in returning inflation to 2%. I mean, it's possible that they could lower the rate a bit, but not even for that long a period of time. Eventually, the rates would, would go even higher. But that we're not going to get back to the days of 2% inflation or lower than 2% inflation. And, and as investors start to realize that reality, the price of gold is going to go way up because gold is worth a lot more in an environment of high inflation than in an environment where everybody thinks inflation is below 2%. And so I think that's what's happening now as the central banks are maybe getting closer to the end of the rate hiking cycle because you know the, the, the countries are so indebted that they can barely even afford the hikes that have already taken place even though interest rates are still negative in real terms. I mean, there's no central banks that have been able to move their interest rates to even equal their inflation rates, let alone exceed them. Uh, but I do think that uh, more and more people are gonna be realizing the box that the Fed is in. And, and also that not only are they not gonna succeed in bringing inflation back down to 2%, but soon the Fed is going to be fighting a different battle. It's going to be trying to prop up a sagging economy uh, a deflating stock market or housing bubble, and helping the U.S. government finance uh, even larger budget deficits than the one it has right now. So they're going to go from fighting inflation to creating even more inflation. And obviously, that's very good for gold. And is that a pivot? I mean, that shift in philosophy from raising rates to tame inflation, to try to tame inflation, to uh, swerving back to try to save the economy via stimulus. Is that pivot, like, could you forecast or speculate on any timing in that regard, Peter? Yeah, I, I would imagine it will probably happen sometime next year where the Fed is officially more worried about the economy than inflation, even though inflation may in fact have risen. But if you start to see a big increase in unemployment, and in particular, you start to see a financial crisis unfolding. If you start to see banks failing and other companies, you know, unable to you know meet their obligations and, and starting to fold, that's going to scare the Fed. It's going to scare politicians a lot more than inflation. Even though in the long run inflation is worse, in the short run, that's not what the politicians care about. And the central bankers are really just politicians disguised as bankers. They're not really independent. Uh, so I do think that the focus is going to shift. Yes, uh, right now they're very public about they want to fight inflation because 
the public is upset about inflation. Inflation is a big problem. It is, uh, you know, uh, everybody is dealing with it. Prices are up now, you know, over the last couple of years, even the way the government measures them, I think they're up about 15%. But that means in reality, they're up about 30%. I mean, that is a huge increase in the cost of living. That's why so many people now have second and third jobs because their paychecks have not risen nearly as much as their cost of living. And so they can't get by with one job. So they need two or three. And that's where all this job creation is coming from. Uh, but I think once the voters are more concerned about something else, then that's when the central banks are going to pivot or the Fed and try to you know, prop things up, except it's not going to work this time because the way the Fed has always bailed out the economy and bailed out the markets and the government is by creating inflation. Well, it's one thing to do that when inflation is 2% or lower. It's another thing to do it when it's you know 5% or higher because the justification for the cheap money was always that, well, we don't have enough inflation anyway, so we can kill two birds with one stone. We can get closer to our inflation target and then we can also provide the stimulus. But what if you're double or triple your inflation target and then you're gonna throw gasoline on the fire in order to stimulate the economy? It's not going to work because you're gonna have a dollar crash and then inflation is going to go through the roof and that's gonna, that's gonna complicate the problem that the Fed is trying to solve. Okay, let me ask you a question. You know, you're pretty active on Twitter. Uh, recommended follow for anybody. You know, you're watching yes, sentiment. Follow, follow me on Twitter. I'm trying, I'm almost at 900,000 followers, but I, I wanna get to a million, that's my goal. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's I mean, that's my goal, first man. goal. Because once I have a million, I'll want two, but for now I need to get the first million. <laughs> All right, well, let's help Peter get to a million guys. Um, here's a question for you. You know, when you're, when you're on Twitter, you're really watching sentiment, right? You're watching the comments and questions of, you know, within FinTwit of investors all over the world. When you see the various narratives and themes that investors are super focused on and worried about right now, right? What is it that you think people are generally speaking misunderstanding, right? Or thinking too, uh, thinking too highly of like, what's a, what's an important thread that most investors right now are, are missing the mark on? Well, again, I think they're missing the mark on inflation and everybody is just trying to figure out, oh, has inflation peaked? And we got the yeah. CPI numbers today and that's got a lot of people saying, oh, you see, inflation has peaked. It's not about whether or not it's peaked. I don't think it has, but that's not the real important fact here. The important fact is that inflation is much higher than it used to be and it's not going back down. That the days of 2% inflation are, are gone and mm. we're not gonna go back there again. And so inflation is gonna be double or triple that number. And that is a game changer for everybody. Not only for the Fed, but for investors, because what worked in an environment where interest rates were really low and inflation was really low at the same time, the types of investments that thrived during that environment are not the type of investments that are gonna thrive during a high inflation, higher rate environment, which is the one that we're in. Yeah. Uh, and so investors have to recognize this shift and they have to make the changes to their portfolios. But most of them are still wedded to what worked uh, during the bubble. And they don't even realize that it was a bubble. You know, I knew it was a bubble because I didn't even participate. I just watched it inflate from the sidelines. But now all the assets that I've been buying for the last decade, those are the ones that are performing. In fact, if you look at our two main strategies year to date, 
our accounts are positive on the year and they're all in stocks. Uh, we're long stocks. We're not short and they're foreign stocks. And even though you have about a 10% rise in the dollar, our portfolios are positive on the year in dollars. Uh, and, and so this is a big shift because we own value. We own dividend paying stocks. We have resources. And, and this is where investors are just finally starting to shift. And I think we're at the early stages of this rotation. And so, you know, the sooner you, you make the rotation, I think the better because you're going to participate in the biggest moves, which are going to happen in the early stages. Okay, I want to pick that apart a little bit. So if I heard you correctly, that's that's the biggest thing people are missing is that whether or not they think inflation's peaked, what they're missing is that if it's peaked or when it peaks, it doesn't matter. It's not going back to 2% or where you become accustomed, right? And the, the consequence of that is the portfolios need to change because the playbook that worked for the previous decade isn't going to work any longer. And that's the rotation that we're seeing right now. That's the rotation yeah, that has a lot to of people don't get that. I mean, they're still holding their FANG stocks, you know, and right. they think, oh, I can't sell them now. They're down 70, 80, 90%. You know, well, yeah, you can because they still could fall a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I, you know, I know people um, who uh, have been sitting on a bit of cash waiting for what they believe, you know, is this opportunity, right? And now they're looking at FANG stocks, among other things, and saying, this is the opportunity of a lifetime to buy these names at, you know, 80% discounts in some cases. Uh, you're shaking your head at that big time saying, don't even think about yeah. it. No, I mean, look, you could buy them as a trade. I mean, you can buy it when it's down 80% and sell it when it's down 70% because that's a big rise, right? From a sure. perspective of a trader. Yes. And so I'm not saying that you can't make money if you're nimble and you're a trader, but if you're, you can't buy and hold these stocks because they're going to keep making new lows because they, they don't have the valuations to support their stock prices. Uh, now, in the past, nobody cared because stock prices were supported by cheap money and low inflation and the, the, the mania that it, there was all this momentum chasing them. But when that momentum isn't there anymore, when the money is just trying to get out, because remember, there's a lot of people who own these stocks who are going to be looking to get rid of them on any rally. You know, it, it, so you have, there's a huge headwind there. But meanwhile, the stocks that I own and the ones that I'm buying, these are the stocks that nobody owns. These are the stocks that everybody sold to buy the FANG stocks. Now they got to buy those stocks back because you still can't hold cash because inflation is eroding away its value. You can't really buy bonds because even though the yields have gone up, they're still negative in terms of inflation. So you still have to buy real assets and stocks are a good asset to buy, but you just can't buy you know, an index. You have to be a stock picker. You have to buy particular companies that have real earnings today, not you know maybe earnings in 10, 20 years, but they're earning money right now. They're paying dividends right now. And they're selling products or services that customers need, that they have to buy. And they will buy them even if the price goes up. Maybe they'll buy a little less. Maybe they'll cut back on something else in order to afford to buy. But you have to be in a position where you have the pricing power, you know, and 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 you can stay ahead of inflation. And there so are, you know, there are a lot of businesses that are like that, and those are the ones that we own, and that's why you know we have positive returns on the year. But but that's also why I think we're going to have even better returns in in future years once the dollar really starts to fall, which I believe it's going to do. I mean, we had this huge sucker rally in the dollar. We've reversed a good chunk of it. Uh, in the last month or so, but the dollar is still 
you know, higher on the year. It's lost, you know, about half its gains. But I think it's going to lose the rest of those gains pretty quickly, maybe not before the end of this year, but early uh, in uh, 2023. Uh, but then it's going to begin a precipitous decline. And I think that's going to be a huge uh, positive factor for non-U.S. investments, particularly the emerging markets. Okay. Now, yes, and no matter where you land on the dollar argument, I think you have to agree it's the most overcrowded trade on the planet right now. And that rally, at least, will roll over. That wealth's got to go somewhere else. So when can you talk me talk to me about some of the some of the industries or sectors that you're looking at when you're I think you mentioned foreign stocks. You definitely mentioned companies that are creating value and paying dividends. Um, are there specific industries? You mentioned resources. Are there other industries? Yeah, well, apart from the resource sector, and that would be industrial metals, you know, agriculture, energy, uh, you know, they're obvious places to be invested. But we're invested in other businesses, whether it's utilities that are, you know, providing uh, people with uh, power that they need in their lives, or uh, some healthcare companies, medical services, which we all need, uh, you know, everybody gets sick and everybody uh, wants to get better. And so health is important. And so these healthcare companies are there. Almost an opposite side, though, but is tobacco uh, because people like to smoke. And so these tobacco companies, you know, if, if you're addicted to smoking, you're going to smoke. And if the price of cigarettes goes up, well, <laughs> you're going to keep smoking. And, you know, you'll find a way to pay for it. I mean, those, those stocks pay uh, good dividends as well. But there's all sorts of companies that that service, let's say, the agriculture or the energy sectors, uh, telecommunications. Uh, we own quite a few of those. Those stocks have kind of been left for dead for a while. They're pre pretty cheap, um, you know, to buy. and They have good dividends. So there's a lot of different stocks that that people own. Uh, we own some of the beer beer companies, uh, brewers. People, mm -hmm. you know, it's not an expensive uh, drink, but a lot of people drink, and maybe people drink more. Uh, when times are bad, because uh, that's a cheap way to make yourself uh, feel a little better and, and escape reality. Mm -hmm. uh, so we own uh, some of those companies. But, you know, th there, there are a lot of different companies that have real value. And, you know, people have to go somewhere. I think you just can't be in cash because all these governments are just printing too much money. The inflation problem is worldwide. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's because all these central banks made the same mistake. And unfortunately, they were pretty much following the Fed's lead. We are the issuer of the reserve currency. And so everybody else kind of, you know, marches to the beat of our drum. And we, we had interest rates at 1% or zero. And so everybody else had to come down. In fact, some countries went negative because they wanted their rates to be lower than ours. Well, when our rates are zero, how do you get below zero? So they actually went into uncharted territory in the twilight zone of, of negative rates, as irrational as that is. But that was only because we were at zero. That's why they had to, they had to go negative. They wanted to have, to have easy money in relation to a U.S. Well, the U.S., we went to zero. Uh, so we kind of corrupted uh, the monetary policy of the entire world. Uh, but I think the world is going to reject the dollar. It's already happening. I mean, in fact, with the sanctions that have been imposed on Russia, and the example that we've sent to the world, I already think, uh, you know, the Chinese and a lot of other uh, players are just not liking that and, and really wanting to uh, take away some of America's power. And the source of that power is the reserve status of the dollar. And we lose that and it's a whole new ballgame here. 
uh, because the Amer America's ability to live beyond its means is a function of the dollar's reserve status because we can print dollars and use those dollars that we print uh, to uh, buy goods and services, mainly goods that we didn't produce. You know, it's kind of like these guys that issue uh, cryptocurrencies out of thin air, right? You know, what would that FTX token cost Bankman Free nothing to create, and he could just issuing them and have this huge value. Well, we do the same thing with the dollar. It costs us nothing. We create them out of thin air, and then everybody uh, assigns a value to them. Do you, do you think there's a possibility for, or what do you think the possibilities are for the future of gold to play an official role back in, in an official monetary role, whether this is oil begins to be priced in gold or some kind of a cryptocurrency or stable coin is backed by gold. Yeah. There's no question that gold is going to reemerge as the monetary unit of choice for the world. I mean, it's not an accident that gold was money for 5,000 years. It's been money for so long because it works. But governments, you know, didn't like the gold standard because if they wanted to spend money, they needed the gold. And so they needed to collect it through taxes because they didn't have gold. The private sector had gold. And so if the government wanted gold to pay for some spending program, they had to take it from the people. Well, you know, as much as the people like government programs, they also hate paying taxes. And, and so governments wanted a way to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted to give people government programs, but not give them the bill. Now, you know, one way is like, well, we're gonna tax the rich, right? Don't worry about it. We're gonna give you all these good goodies, but the rich people are gonna pay for it, right? Well, you know, eventually, you know, you've taxed the rich to the point that you can't tax them any higher or they'll, you know, and, and, and now you have just the middle class left and there, you know, they don't wanna pay more taxes. So they just print money. We run these huge deficits and we pay for government with inflation. And that's why we have so much inflation because we have so much government that we didn't pay for through taxation. So we're paying for it through inflation, which means higher prices. So I think that the free market is going to reject uh, the dollar and other currencies because they're a flawed form of money because they are no longer a store of value. Right? They, they can still function as a medium of exchange. You can still use them as a unit of account. But if they're not good, a good store of value, then you know, they're not good as a you know, medium of deferred payment. They're not good for lending and borrowing because you really have no idea. If I loan you my dollars for 10 years, I mean, in a high inflation environment, I have no idea what those dollars might buy me in 10 years. They may buy me nothing. So when, when the public starts to lose confidence in the value of the dollar, what are they going to use as an alternative? Well, they, they could use gold. Now, the inconvenience of using gold is, well, I've, I've got a bar of gold or I got a gold coin. I mean, you know, one gold coin, how am I gonna, how am I gonna buy things with it? I mean, how am I gonna just, you know, exchange it? Now, of course, at one point we did do that. People had gold coins in their pockets and they had bills in their pockets that were backed by gold. And if they wanted to buy something small, well, they paid in silver or they paid in nickel or they paid in copper, right? That's the penny. Um, but today, because of the uh, technology that we have now that we didn't have in the past when we were using gold as money, because we have the internet, because we have blockchain, we can 
tokenize the ownership of gold and issue digital currency backed by gold instead of paper currency backed by gold that can circulate as a medium of exchange very efficiently so that people can make big ticket purchases with gold. I could buy a car and pay in gold, or I could buy a pack of chewing gum and pay in gold because you can break gold down into a fraction of a gram, and then I can send that fraction of a gram around the world for a fraction of a cent. So it's like, yeah. you know, I, the, 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 the current technology, and that's the irony, because all these Bitcoin guys were like, oh, see, blockchain is the death of gold. No, it's going to lead to the rebirth of gold, because Bitcoin is what we don't need. Gold is what gives the digital currency its value, because uh, gold actually is the store of value. But with blockchain, it's a better medium of exchange than it had been in the past, because it has all the attributes of Bitcoin except better because it's faster and cheaper to transact, but it's also a store of value, which Bitcoin can never be because Bitcoin has no underlying value that can be stored. Now, what's the, what are the challenges with that? And I think like, you know, okay, so we, on paper it makes sense, but where, where's the guarantee that XYZ cryptocurrency is actually backed by gold? It's just in the trust of some auditing committee, correct? Right, but there was never a guarantee and it worked for you know hundreds of years with paper you know you have trusted uh third parties that compete in a free market uh and there will be certain uh tokens that will have a higher degree of trust and therefore will be more marketable uh than than other tokens and of course companies can can say our gold is audited here's our independent auditors we have insurance. We've paid, let's say, Lloyd's of London to insure our gold. So even if it gets stolen, Lloyd's has, you know, we've bought a, an insurance policy. And then, of course, if Lloyd's is insuring the gold, then you have another set of eyes that's going to make sure that it's secure. Otherwise, they won't write the insurance policy. Um, you know, you can store it with a company like Brinks, right? Brinks has been storing precious metals for over 150 years. They've never lost an ounce. That seems like a pretty good track record. So look, trusting third parties is what everybody does in, a cap in capitalism. I mean, if you, if you have life insurance, you've trusted a third party to pay the claim, you know, when you die. The same yeah. thing with fire insurance or, or auto insurance. All insurance requires a third party to pay in the event that whatever you insured against happens, that doesn't stop people from buying insurance because they have to trust the third party. They just make sure when they buy insurance, they buy it from a third party they can trust. And yeah. what do these insurance companies do to preserve their trust? Well, you know, that, that trust is, is value. That's their brand. That is their goodwill of their company that they want to preserve. Uh, and, and so it's fine. The idea that says, hey, we can't use gold as money because we need to trust the third party is nonsense. We've always been trusting third parties and it's worked. The only time it doesn't work is when the third party is a government. That's when they screwed us because when we trusted the government, like when we trusted the United States government because the government had the gold and they said, hey, here's our notes. They're backed by gold. What did Nixon do? Nixon devalued twice, although Roosevelt devalued first. He took the gold, the dollar and said, hey, it was worth, you know, gold was at $20 an ounce and now it's 35. So now you need $35 to buy an ounce of gold before you needed 20. But then Nixon says, well, he devalued it from 35 to like 40 and then 42. But then he said, you know what? I'm defaulting. 
We're not giving you any gold for your paper. So the U.S. government screwed everybody. The private sector doesn't have a history of doing that. Uh, it's government. So that, that's why I'm saying that I think it's the private sector that is going to lead the world back to a gold standard. Uh, not governments. Governments don't have any vested interest to want to do this. But the public does. Right? Just like, you know, did the post office have a vested interest in Federal Express? No. But the free market did. You know, taxi cabs didn't want Ubers, but now they're here. Right. Yeah. Why are they there? Because the government provided, you know, uh, oligopolies, you know, with, you know, these taxi cabs, they were overcharging people. So that that was a window. The post office is a monopoly, overcharged people. The government has a monopoly on money and we're being overcharged through inflation to use government money. So the private sector comes up with an alternative. But, you know, Bitcoin won't work as an alternative, but gold will uh, based on the same principles utilizing, uh, you know, blockchain and the Internet. No, I agree with you. And look, like I am, uh, I hold physical gold and silver and, you know, I could, I can envision that world. I, I can't, but I think a real and a realistic barrier to that is the next two and three generations of investors, consumers, all of this, they've been nurtured in a 99% virtual world, right? They've, They've lived their whole life in, in the digital landscape, and there's going to be a barrier for them to understand this, this hard asset mentality. And that's part of the reason. Plus, they've been indoctrinated by the rise of cryptocurrencies and that this could be a sound money and it's decentralized. So therefore, you know, it lacks corruption and manipulation. And, you know, if you have the keys, then you have possession like you would of physical coins. And so how do you think that the message that you're discussing and that I buy into could be communicated and educated, right? To the next two and three generations, which are gonna carry the torch and pick it up. Well, look, look at how they were able to spread Bitcoin message. Look at how many people around the world, not only you know, know about Bitcoin, own Bitcoin, so, in many respects, it's a similar message. It just doesn't have the get risk quick element. And that, that's what kind of made Bitcoin appealing to certain people was that they thought they would get rich buying it. So when you're talking about using gold as money and a, a crypto backed by gold, you're not talking about a get rich quick scheme, but you're just talking about empowering people to have a better monetary system so that they don't go broke so that they can save and have their savings grow in value over time rather than sink. And freeing a lot of people from a banking system and making it easier for people in a lot of countries who are unbanked to actually easily have a account that they could use as a to facilitate payments so that they can buy whatever they want or they can receive money in exchange for their services and be paid. And the beauty of gold is it's a universal money. It's the same all over the world. And, and so, you know, you could be a poor person in Africa and you could just be, you know, taxing around uh, tourists that come uh, to your country and they could just easily pay you in gold uh, through your smartphone and you could receive your payments. Doesn't matter whether they're coming from the United Kingdom, the United States, you know, France, Japan, Australia, you know, they could all pay you in gold and then you could use your gold to pay all your bills and you don't need a bank and whatever you don't 
spend that you save, it's going to gain value because over time, uh, prices go down in relation to gold. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you, you can grow your, grow your purchasing power uh, through, through your savings. So uh, people, I think, when they learn about it, you know, will, will adopt it. I think merchants, when businesses have an opportunity to be paid in real money, they'd prefer it if it's just as easy to get paid in phony money. I think yeah. workers would like their wages in real money, um, especially people that are signing long-term contracts to be paid over longer periods of time. I mean, inflation can wipe you out, but if you're gonna get paid in grams of gold, you know, that's a lot better, especially if you know that your landlord, what if your rent is also in gold? Because your landlord says, you know, I'd rather have this uh, uh, a rent in gold. So now you have your rent in gold, but then you, your salary is in gold, right? So as the world starts moving away from, from these fiat currencies to gold, then they start pricing things in terms of gold, right? And the governments are irrelevant. And now they have to be honest because now if everybody wants gold and nobody wants their paper, well, now if they want to come up with a government program, they're going to have to provide people with gold uh, because that's what everybody wants. And so now they have to be honest. Now they have to have taxes that meet their expenditures. They can't run these massive deficits and monetize them and, and cover the, the shortfall by creating inflation. Now, do you think that what you just discussed has anything to do with the record central bank buying of gold, because in order to buy something, you have to sell something. If you look at the ledger, it's largely been an exchange of U.S. treasuries in order to buy gold. That's been the transaction. Do you think central banks are thinking about it that way at all, or is, are those two well, separate things? I don't know if they're thinking about the world returning to a gold standard. I think what they are concerned about is the backing behind their own currency. And they recognize that dollars are going to lose a lot of value based on the enormity of U.S. government deficits and the size of our debt and the fact that we just can't possibly service the debt, let alone repay the debt. You also have the baby boom generation of which I'm a part of. Um, you know, we're in retirement and more of us are entering retirement and it's a huge generation. I mean, I'm at the tail end of the baby boom. I'm about to turn 60. Uh, but there's a lot of people that are just around my age or are now already 65 and, and, and they're retiring. And Social Security is broke. And so it, it's already spending more than it's collecting, especially with the labor force participation rate so low. And so this massive uh, 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 deficits have to be funded, these unfunded liabilities. And central banks realize that the dollar is going to lose a lot of value. Treasuries are going to lose a lot of value. So they're holding all these dollars, all these treasuries. So they want to get rid of them. But what do they want to buy? I mean, they got they got to they got to buy something. They're not you know they're not going to just spend it. So they're buying gold. I mean, gold's a better asset. I suppose they could sell their dollars and buy euros, or they could buy yen. But you know, you got problems in Europe. You got problems in Japan. Gold is a monetary asset that's nobody else's liability. And you don't have to worry about a, a country, you know, overprinting gold because they don't they can't print gold. It has to be mined. And, you know, the, the production of gold is slow. Maybe the price, the supply will increase one, one and a half percent next year. Uh, the supply of fiat currencies will grow at a minimum five to 10 percent, maybe more, depending on on the currency. Uh, so, you know, there's massive inflation in the fiat world. You don't have that with real money. So central banks are doing this. And I also think, too, as I said earlier, 
you know, Russia had reserves in dollars that got frozen, but yeah. their reserves in gold, they still have those. Yeah. And, and, and so the message that we sent to the world is that your reserves had better be in gold because that's the only way to keep them safe. Because if they're in dollars, well, you know, we tell you what you could do with those reserves. And if you do something we don't like, you're not gonna have those reserves. That yeah. doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in people. No. Why would you wanna hold your reserves in a currency where the United States could just yank it away from you? Like if you do something America doesn't like, they're in a position to punish you. Well, I wouldn't wanna be in that position, especially if I know America doesn't like me, right? Like China, right? Everybody yeah. wants to bash China. They've got trillions of dollars over there. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> they've loaned us all this money. And so I would think, shit, we want to get rid of this. And I think that's what they're doing. They're, they're just divesting themselves of dollars. And, and what that means is our ability to export our inflation to China is coming to an end because that's what we did for years. The Chinese sent us goods and we sent them paper. And they took that paper and they bought our bonds. And it was a win for us because we got cheap prices and low interest rates. Uh, but, you know, that they're, we're going to lose that ability. And that's, you know, that's a big change for the United States. It means a much lower standard of living for Americans. Yeah, that's a very significant event. And uh, I, I wonder if in 10 years we'll look back on that freezing of U.S. dollar reserves by, by the U.S. government towards Russia as significant as we now look back on Nixon taking um, the, the, the U.S. dollar off the gold standard. If we'll look back on it with similar significance. Now, I know yeah, you- I mean I think the world was going to move away from the dollar as a reserve anyway. It was inevitable. But I think that uh, action certainly sped up the process. So right, right. it will happen sooner as a result of that action than it would have happened anyway. But it was inevitable that it was going to happen. In fact, it should have already happened. It's long overdue. Yeah. Okay. Now, look, I know you got to jump here, but I have one more question for you. It's December 13th for context. In the last 24 hours, $1.9 billion was withdrawn from Binance. I don't think we fully understand the full contagion of uh, the initial June crypto crash, the FTX crash. Is Binance next? Peter, what do you have to say? You know, I don't know uh, what's next. I mean, I think all of these uh, platforms that had any kind of debt or that offered any kind of yield on investments of, of, of crypto are inherently suspect. You know, just like, you know, I did some uh, debates uh, with this guy, um, Mishinsky from Celsius. And when he told me about the interest he was paying, I immediately thought, okay, well, this is some kind of Ponzi. You know, this is impossible. What kind of risk? And he was like denying, oh, we're not taking any risks. A few months later, the whole thing is bankrupt. In fact, I think if I would have looked into Sam Bankman-Fried's company and FTX, if I would have spent 10 minutes like doing some due diligence, I would have spotted the fraud myself. I just never even looked at it. That was my mistake. I should have like paid more attention to it. But I mean, I never considered putting any money there. I mean, had I been thinking about it, then, then I would have. Uh, but, you know, when I look back at some of the interviews now that I never saw earlier, because I didn't really pay attention, it's like this was like such a, you know, flashing red light, this guy. Uh, and the fact that people just accepted that he was worth close to $30 billion, how? What did he do? He has some exchange. How, how does he have all this value? Where is he getting all this money? I mean, and, and this kid, I mean, this young guy that doesn't even know how to comb his hair, you tell me he's, he's got all, you know, the whole thing just didn't smell right when you just look at it. 
Um, but you know, there's a lot of potential blowups. What about Tether? I mean, how, does Tether actually have, you know, dollars and and how much of Tether's reserves maybe were in FTX liabilities? How much money did FTX load Tether? I don't know. They're not yeah. audited. I mean, what if Tether doesn't have anywhere near the dollars? What if there's a run on Tether? Because Tether supplies a lot of liquidity to Bitcoin and other cryptos. So if the Tether has no value, how you can, you know, you, you don't longer have a way to buy, you know, uh, and a lot of people that, that have sold their Bitcoin and, and got paid Tether, if the Tether has no value, they got nothing for their Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know that there's, I think there's a lot more shoes to drop. I think this is going to be the textbook centipede when it comes to shoe dropping. Uh, and FTX wasn't even the first one. As I said, there, there were other bankruptcies that happened before FTX. And in fact, yeah. FTX was trying to bail out some of the companies that went bankrupt before it. That was the irony of it because it, in, it itself was broke and it was bailing out all these companies. Uh, and now, of course, who's going to bail out the next company that fails? Because the company that was bailing them out, well, it's failed too. So yeah. I, I just think this whole thing is going to unravel. This was the, a crazy mania that was a byproduct of central banks and the casino-like environment that was created uh, as a result of massive inflation, 0% interest rates and quantitative easing. And I know all the politicians are gonna wanna blame capitalism and claim, oh, this proves that we need more government. We don't need more government, we need less government. We need more common sense. We need more personal responsibility. Uh, That's the best safeguard against fraud and this kind of stuff. A government regulators are always corrupted by the people they regulate, and they, it always results in more fraud and more people losing money than if we had free market forces uh, that would be doing a better job. But it's amazing to me that so many people are still in denial that are in this space, that are looking at Bitcoin at you know, 17,000, you know, it popped up today, so now it's you know, closer to 18 or 70, whatever it is, but, and not realizing that they could still sell. I mean, they're like, trapped in this mentality that, oh my God, I can't sell it at 17 because it used to be 69 and it's yeah. 70% down and, oh, it's a bargain. I, I'm not, I can't sell. You're, it's it's $17,000 for nothing. $17,000 is a lot more than zero, which is ultimately where they're going. But you can't be fooled into thinking that because it once was 69,000, that that represents some benchmark that you know it's going to return to someday and that anything below that is just a sale it's a going out of business sale (laughs) so (laughs) the prices are going to keep getting marked down and the longer you wait to sell the bigger the markdown you're going to see uh in in order to sell later you know you hit on an important point there the personal responsibility is what's missing from this because what i've seen a lot of on twitter is people pointing the finger at the media saying, you didn't do your job. You should have investigated this sooner. You should have spotted this fraud or at regulation. You know, you should have protected us from scenarios like this. And I'm asking the question, why is nobody just pointing the finger at the investors for not doing diligence before allocating your capital, right? The media was complicit because they were bought and paid for. They were shills because these, these uh, crypto companies were buying ads on all these networks. Yeah. And, and so the, the, the reporters and the, the shows didn't want to criticize their customers. <laughs> in fact, they it's wanted nice. to give them some free publicity to get yeah. the paid publicity. So everybody was in on the action. 
but I was out there, you know, screaming. I was like taking CNBC to task so often. I was like, this, these guys are doing a horrible service to their audience. They are treating this like it's an actual investment. They're putting one shill after another on their network to talk their book and pump up this crap. And there's no counterbalance. There's nobody like me on there saying it's all a bunch of nonsense. And all of the reporters were all eating it all up, all the anchors. Uh, and, you know, and, and it's just fueling it. But, you know, what's going to happen? And I, I've been saying this since the beginning. Everybody who made money in crypto, including the people who were paid to advertise crypto, they're all going to get sued you know, by the people who lost money. I mean, at the end, the lawyers are going to have the money. That's unfortunately how it always works. But everybody who lost money is going to sue everybody who made money. That's just it. You know, that's yeah. how it's all going to end. Because, <laughs> you know, it's a zero-sum game, right? It was all a transfer of wealth. Some yeah. people made money because other people lost money. Because yeah. no real value was created out of Bitcoin. It was just a transfer mechanism from the people who sold it to the people who bought it. Well, you know, it's a Bernie Madoff thing. It's a, it's a natural Ponzi, a, a pyramid scheme, a chain letter. You know, it's like it was a chain letter on the blockchain. But that doesn't change the nature of what it was. You know, because actual chain letters are illegal. But if you have a blockchain letter, somehow it's legal. Right. Okay. This is my last question. I promise. So just because you touched on the media incentives, right? And I've been very curious why um, Sam Bankman-Fried has been getting such a white glove um, handling from media. Every interview he's done, he's just been lobbed these softball questions. And it's like, what is going on here? And then he's arrested the day before he's supposed to testify to Congress, like saving this kid probably from incriminating himself. So that's, that's, know. that's what I said. I said, if I don't normally, these government prosecutors are a lot shrewder than that. I mean, if you knew that a guy that you were about to charge was going to go on record and testify under oath in front of Congress, I'd like, yeah, let's wait yeah. for that. I mean, he, let's right. see what he says that we could use against him. Cause it's all, he's waving his fifth amendment rights. He's going to go out there and, and say a bunch of stuff. It didn't make any sense. They should have arrested him after he finished testifying, <laughs> not Agreed. before. But I think the reason that the media is treating him the way they are is first, they want the interviews, right? So they know like, shit, we, got, we want, this is a major coup. We can interview this guy. So, but we got to treat him nice or, you know, you, you know, he, he will leave. Yeah. But also part of his fraud was that he was one of the good guys, right? He was a liberal. He was a, he supported all these democratic, politically correct causes, you know? And, and so he, he didn't, you know, he wasn't out for himself. He wasn't one of those greedy billionaires who just wants to make money. He wanted to give all his money away, right? He was a good guy. He was this new kind of capitalist that, that earned to give, right? And they still don't realize that was part of his fraud. This guy was yeah. as greedy as anybody else. In fact, greedier. He lived a very lavish lifestyle while he pretended that he was driving some beat up Toyota Corolla and, you know, having 10 roommates in some little apartment. I mean, this guy was, you know, surrounding himself with opulence and all the trappings of wealth while yeah. pretending he like, you know, was was a monk, you know, and wanted nothing for himself. But, yeah. you know, because he was, you know, he had this persona about him and now he's like acting like, well, I didn't know, you know, I'm this good guy and I just didn't, you know, I just didn't understand what I was doing. And I just, oh, God, I wish I had done a better job. And, oh, you know. God, I really feel bad that I just wasn't 
smarter and didn't have more experience. You know, I'm just a kid. I was in my 20s and, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, yeah, I mean, it's hard to take that much money and not realize that you're that you're taking it. It's like, it's like, you know, I mean, and the thing, too, and this is what what, what almost gets me is, you know, you have these people that invested with him, these supposedly smart people that put money with them. And what's worse, that you gave your money to a criminal who stole it or you gave your money to an incompetent idiot who lost it. <laughs> you know, I mean, to me, it's almost better to think, oh, he stole it because I and just, yeah, 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 like, yeah. I'm just completely, I'm completely inexperienced, irresponsible. I have no idea what I'm doing. Yet all these people trusted <laughs> me. And now all these people that trusted him are now like turning. And when I hear some of these big wigs, like, you know, Michael Saylor, you know, or uh, Mike Novogratz, you know, criticizing him. And I'm thinking like, you know, you're in a glass house. What are you doing throwing stones? I mean, Mike, uh, uh, Michael Saylor, when Bitcoin was over $60,000 a coin or token, whatever it is, he was telling people on television to put all of their net worth in Bitcoin. Yeah, but yeah. when they finished putting everything they had in Bitcoin, he said, that's not enough. Go out and mortgage your house and put that money in Bitcoin. Borrow money on your credit card and put that money in Bitcoin. He was saying that on air. Yeah. And like the reporters were like, they weren't like, they weren't saying anything. Like, what are you yeah. nuts? How could you possibly be doing that? Anybody yeah. who followed his advice is just as wiped out as the person who put money at FTX, maybe more. Maybe they just lost their house because they yeah. because they they followed his advice. And so he's now going to be criticizing FTX, but the media lets him get away with it. I mean, he's still one of the favorites, you know, uh, everybody wants to interview Michael Saylor. Hey, he's got 3 million Twitter followers, right? He's a big, uh, big crypto guy. Uh, but, you know, Novogratz or, you know, all these guys are out there. They've been pumping this stuff up for years, uh, recklessly and irresponsibly. You know, was it criminal what they did? I may, you know, I don't know. Maybe it depends on what they were doing. I mean, how much uh, Bitcoin was Michael Saylor selling as he was telling other people to mortgage their house to buy it? I'd be interested in knowing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, either way, exactly. When I heard those statements, I just found it terrifying, terrifying. <laughs> making those kind of claims about any asset. I mean, it's just, it, it was so ridiculous. Well, especially Bitcoin. But I mean, because it's by its very nature, it's highly speculative. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be going into debt to buy it. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Look, Peter, this has been fun. I'm really glad we can make it happen. Thanks so much for coming back on. I'm going to keep pushing to try to get you my show in January. You, you told me the deal. So Peter's in Puerto Rico. He said, I got to find a jet. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, I actually could be in Connecticut. I'm, you know, I was thinking about going back, but you know, it's so cold. That's the problem. It's so nice here in Puerto Rico in January. You want me to go to Vancouver? <laughs> and, and normally when I go there, it's on the weekend and it's usually the championship for the AFC, yeah. NFC and football. Yeah. Remember one time I did one of your events and I was watching the football game on my smartphone while I was <laughs> on my panel. I remember that. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Lito with me. I'm going to try to make some magic happen, but I appreciate right. your time. Thanks for coming back on. Bye-bye. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.